Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. So, that word, I just I can't do it. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? My name is Luke. Um, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And you're like, I never see you up there preaching. What's up with this? Well, I preach every now and then, very rarely. Um, They keep me hidden away. But I've broken out, and I'm here. Um, So yeah, my name is Luke, and I would really love to meet you if we haven't met. Um, I'll try to be around in the back. Um, And uh, just just so you know, you know, the first service, after I finished, I walked down. I was just like, ugh, exhausted. So we'll see uh, how I do now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, let me just tell you where we're headed and what uh, I'm hoping the Lord will speak to us. Uh, This passage, this chapter, can be broken down into four parts. There's four paragraphs. Um, Each part uh, shows who God is and has something for Abraham and Sarah, or Sarai. Um, And then we'll close with some closing, closing thoughts. And then one key thing is that I'm going to say Abram or Abraham, I'm going to mix them up, it's going to happen. So, uh, but we get a name change here. So, uh, Abraham become, or Abram becomes Abraham. I just did it. Um, so anyway, let me just pray and we'll get started. Uh, dear Father, uh, thank you so much for your word, the word of Christ. I pray that it would dwell in us, that you would teach us, Father, that the Holy Spirit would be here. I know you have prepared hearts to hear. We have been able to worship you, God. I ask that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me clearly for your glory. No boasting in me, but only boasting in Christ Jesus. So I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I uh, once heard a story of a woman's husband who was in a coma. You know, he was slipping in and out for several months. Um, Yet she stayed there by his side every single day. And then one day, he finally came up, he woke up, and he motioned to her to come closer. 
As she sat by him, he whispered, eyes full of tears, you know what? You have been with me through all the bad times. When I got fired, you were there to support me. When my business failed, you were there. When we lost the house, you stayed right here. When my health started failing, you were still by my side. You know what I think? And she leaned in. She said softly, what is it, dear? I think you're bad luck. Uh, so, that's, uh, there's a story there of faithfulness somewhere. The, but what we're going to see here is that God was faithful to Abraham and that he fulfilled his promises to Abram, to Abraham, and that he still today is faithful to us. So as we uh, look at the context of, what this, of chapter 17, we know that in chapter 16, Abram and Sarai had tried to assert their own plan in God's will. They tried to bring the seed about uh, their own way um, through Hagar. And this only brought shame and hurt for Hagar and Sarai. Now, in chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old. He's very old, very old. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to stare at you, Puck, when I said very old. <laughs> um, yes, and so he's, he's old, but he's, he's spent time with his son Ishmael. Uh, it's been 13 years since Ishmael was born. But then one day God appears to Abram. He shows up out of the blue. God shows up to double down on his covenant with Abram. God was determined to fulfill it, to see it fulfilled. You know, why would God appear now? After what Abram and Sarai had done with Hagar to Hagar? Hasn't Abram worked out his own plan? Hasn't he created the way for the promise to be fulfilled through Ishmael? But what we are going to see is that God is faithful in the, even though Abram and Sarai went about their own way to fulfill the promise, that he is merciful and that he will judge. But in spite of Abram and Sarai, we see God doubling down on his covenant to fulfill the seed of the promise. And we know what we'll also see here is that there are, there are times when we are faithless and God wants us to be faithful to walk with him because he is always faithful. His faithfulness cha challenges us. It points us to his faithfulness. So in verse 1, we know that it's been 13 years, it's been 24 years since God first appeared to Abram. When God said he called him, Abram, out of a different land to come to Canaan, it had been 24 years. It's been a long time since God made the original promise for him to bless the nations. Why did God delay? Why, why so long in fulfilling the promise? Why, hasn't, why didn't he give what Abraham, Abram and Sarai needed now? They needed a, a son. They were getting older and older. They needed a son soon. You know, we ask the same questions too, don't we, of God? Why haven't you answered my prayers? What, what, where are you, Lord, in all of this? 
in my trials, in my sufferings, where are you, Father? You know, we see a similar story of when God delayed in John chapter 11. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, had, um, had called Jesus to come and heal their brother, Lazarus, who had fallen ill. So they sent for him. We can see in John 11, verse 3, where Jesus, or where uh, Lazarus' sisters sent to Christ, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So we see three things there. That Jesus loves Lazarus, but he's delaying coming to him for the glory of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. If we continue in verses 5 and 6 of this same chapter, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Again, he makes the point that he loves them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. He delays, he waits. But he still loves him. He didn't come immediately. We're seeing here that Jesus waited with purpose. And we know the end of the story that Lazarus is raised from the dead, miraculously by Jesus Christ. God was sovereign in the waiting. Lazarus' illness, then his death, and finally his resurrection by Jesus was all for love and for the glory of God. It was for God to show his love to his children, to his friends, and to show his glory, that he could miraculously bring someone from the dead. So if we look back with Abram, he has been waiting for 24 years for the promise. It's a long time. So God, too, is seeking to glorify himself, to show his love to Abram in the waiting, to show his faithfulness to Abram. Well, why? Well, here's one reason that I think that might help us. Abram and Sarah, Sarai, as we know, attempted to fulfill the promise of seed by their own plan, by their own will. If God had allowed Ishmael to be the fulfillment of the promise of seed, God would not get glory. He would not be glorified by it because it was their own work, their own plan. It was all done by Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. But God waited for 25 years to fulfill the promise so that he might display his power and faithfulness in a miraculous way. This is important for us to know. This is a truth for us to remember, that in God's sovereignty and his faithfulness, that in our waiting for God, that he is seeking to show his love and to glorify himself. And his glory is for our good. Trust him and remember that he waits because he loves you. A parent, and, and if you know, if you have a child, you don't give what your, your child asks you for immediately. You, you say you're not ready for that. You wait. So the Lord waits to give his promise to Abraham to teach him, to teach him to be faithful. In verse 1, when God introduces himself, he says, 
I am God Almighty. This word Almighty, we see throughout the scriptures, it's God introducing himself, and the Hebrew word is El Shaddai, which means powerful, strong, or the one who is suffices, who is sufficient. We know God is saying that I'm almighty to fulfill a miraculous miracle, to bring you a son, even in your old age. In spite of Abraham's lack of integrity and failure to trust God, God is all-powerful and sufficient in himself to fulfill the promise of the land and seed to Abram. God will keep his promise to Abram. God also says in verse 2, or 1 and 2, walk before me and be blameless. What does he mean when he says walk before me? Well, he's saying live in right relationship with me. Live, walk with me. Be in relationship with me. And when he says to be blameless, we, we, you might remember when God said that Noah was blameless in all the earth, that he walked with God. You know, when I hear the word blameless, I often think of someone who's perfect or someone who is sinless. But that's not what the Hebrew word is really getting at. It's getting at more of integrity. It signifies a wholeness of relationship and integrity with our God. So God wants us to be blameless, to have integrity in, with our walk with him, and especially for Abram. And how does Abram respond to this when, verse 3, he falls flat on his face? He is in awe that God has just appeared to him. He's worshiping God. He falls on his face. And in verse 4, God reminds him of the covenant. He's doubling down on it. He's determined to fulfill it. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God reminds him of the promise that he made. And to help, he changes his name to remind him even more. Abram, which means exalted father, he changes his name to Abraham. Just a small change there, but what it means is father of a multitude. And God shows this, that he will be a father of a multitude because of generations that will come from Abraham, nations and kings, and the one promised Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come from Abraham. He applies this to Abraham's direct descendants, this everlasting covenant with Abram, Abraham. And this is applied to us as well. We who are of the faith, who believe, who have trusted in Christ, who have put our faith in him. We can see it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where Paul says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This same promise that God gave to, to Abraham, the promise, the covenant, is directly for us who are of faith. It's the fulfillment of it. The promise was ultimately leading to Jesus Christ. And so we are, we are heirs with Abraham. Not only did he promise nations and peoples, but he said that he would, from Abraham, kings would come too. We know of David and Solomon and many other kings, but the important one, the one that would come thousands of years later, would be Jesus Christ, who came as a servant, but who was king. And we, we think back on Genesis 3.15, which God made the promise to Eve that from her seed, from her, would come the promised Messiah to crush Satan's head, the serpent's head, and that was Jesus Christ. And so we're seeing God's covenant, his promises being fulfilled further and further. In verses 9 through 14, God, after he reminds Abraham, re reestablishes his covenant, he says, all right, now I have a requirement for you. You have a responsibility. Since this time, and with God's, before this, God's covenant, he, he has been the main initiator. He has initiated the covenant. He's made the, the conditions. He walked through the sacrifice. The, the, he, he cut the covenant. But now we're seeing that God has a requirement for Abraham. And that requirement is circumcision. It's the circumcision of every male in his household. And the reason why, why would God, you know, you ask, why, why circumcision? Such an odd thing. But in verse 11, God says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It was going to be the sign of his covenant with Abraham. God was giving Abraham a, a physical reminder that Abraham was his, that he was his son, that God was going to continue to be faithful to him. It helps me to do a little bit of compare and contrast. And so hopefully I'm going to try to explain a little bit of this, what this is. Hopefully it's helpful. Um, and if it's hard to understand, I'm sorry, that's my fault. Um, I'll try to um, explain it the best I can. I'm not very good at explaining things. As you see, I just tried to explain to you my explaining. Um, anyways, uh, there's a compare and contrast here that's helpful. And as we look at Noah, we know that uh, he too was given a covenant, as all of us, the covenant of to never flood the earth again. And God gave him a sign, and that was the rainbow. Now, God brought the flood. It was judgment on humanity for their violence and their turning away from God. But God makes a covenant with Noah and thereby all of humanity to never flood the earth again. This was God's mercy. that He made a covenant to never do it again. And what does he give to reinforce the covenant? The sign of the rainbow. You know, every time we see a storm, a thunderstorm, um, a hurricane, 
We're seeing glimpses or fragments, if you will, of God's judgment. It's a scary thing, isn't it? It's, a little, it's cool, you know, seeing lightning, but you don't want to be right under it. It's, it's f- fearful. It's, it'll, it's, it's a glimpse of the fear of God. But usually, a lot of times, through, after thunderstorms, even during them, we see something called the rainbow. God is showing that even in the midst of his judgment, he reminds us, us of the sign of his mercy, that he will never flood the earth again. He will never bring complete destruction again. So we see that God was judged the earth, but he also showed the earth mercy by never flooding the earth again. So as we look at, compare that with Abram, Abraham and circumcision, circumcision holds both judgment and mercy of God for Abram. Judgment because God commanded Abraham to cut off the part of the flesh he used to abuse Hagar to go against God's promise. And it was mercy, circumcision, because it was God's physical and continual reminder that God would be faithful to his covenant with Abraham. So you see there that God shows his judgment, this, this sign, to remind him that you have done wrong, but this sign is also mercy for you. It's my love for you. It's my cleansing of you. Not, yeah. And then, as we continue, God Almighty has a blessing to give to Sarai as well. He wants to bless her. Along with Ishmael. So we see in verse 15 that Abraham says, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations, kings of peoples shall come from her. God makes clear that he will fulfill his promise to Sarai as well. And we notice that this promise is the same to Abraham. They're the, they're, they're the same. We're seeing that God is acknowledging that they are one in their marriage, that they are one together, and that they share in the blessing that God wants to show them. We, we're seeing also that Sarai gets a name change. Her name is changed to Sarah. Now, they both mean princess. There's not a whole lot of change. Um, Sarah could also mean noble woman. Now, God gives her two blessings. The first is that God will give to her a son by Abraham. And the second, that she will become nations and kings of peoples shall come from her. When I think about this, I just think about Sarah's faith her trusting in God. And yes, just as Abraham, we see her struggling, we see her make mistakes, but ultimately we see her have faith. Because just think about how she felt. Years of barrenness. She couldn't give Abraham an heir, which was such an important part of their culture, to have a son to continue the line, to take on their possessions, to continue their name. The pressure, the pressure she must have felt would have been enormous. Her feelings of failure, of what, why, 
what is going on. Where are you, God? But what does God name her? Sarah. She, she, he names her, and he calls her a lady of nations, of peoples. He calls her a queen. Sarah would trust God that he would be faithful to her because God was showing his faithfulness. And we can see in Hebrews 11.11 that in the end, Sarah was faithful. He says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Remember, power, almighty God. Even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Her faith was in the faithful one who would fulfill the promise. Now, Abraham, he responds to this by falling on his face, just like he did before. This time, he starts laughing. He just bursts out in laughter. Why? He's, he starts, you know, being like, wow, God, you're amazing. You're going to do this. And then his gears start turning, and he's like, I'm, I'm 99 years old. That's impossible. Sarah is 90 years old. How are you going to bring a child for us? But God would fulfill it. So he asks God, after his laughter, <laughs> he asks God that Ishmael might be the promised son. He's like, hey, he's right here. He's 13 years old. You know, I love him. Could he be the promised son? But God says, no. I will fulfill my covenant. I will give you a son. Now, after that, God says, and you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. And this seems like, you know, God's kind of like poking at him, like, you're going to laugh at me. Well, your kid's going to be laughter. I'm going to name him laughter. He's going to be a laughing stock. But that's not really, you know, God is not a sarcastic God. He's not trying to mess with us, toy with us. <clears throat> we can see later on in chapter 22 when Isaac is born that the name Isaac was a foreshadowing of Abraham and Sarah's joy at the birth of the promised son. J laughter, there is joy in laughter, isn't there? And so that promise is fulfilled. The name actually means something, that there was going to be joy in the fulfillment of the promise. Now, in verse 20, God says this, As for Ishmael, I have heard you. He knows that Abraham loves Ishmael, and Abraham cares for Ishmael. He's heard him. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. God does not cast out Ishmael. He does not... Uh, he shows him mercy. He doesn't forget Ishmael. He shows him love and promises that he will become fruitful and multiply, that many nations will come from Ishmael. Twelve sons were born to Ishmael, so God shows him mercy. And then finally, in verse 21, But I, God, will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God gives him a promise. He says, in one year's time, I will fulfill my promise to you. This is something that, God, that Abraham has not heard yet, a timeline. He's getting a, a, a physical 
uh, timeline to know that when his son will be born. Now, finally, Abraham's response in verses 22 through 27. You know, how, how does he respond? Does he say, God, you want me to do what? You want me to circumcise myself and everybody else in my household? I mean, I'm 99 years old. How am I going to get all these other guys to do it? This is, this, is hor- this is ridiculous. No, but he immediately responds with obedience. We can see in verse 23, Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. That same day, he obeyed God because he trusted that God was faithful to fulfill the promise. Abraham responds to God with belief and trust. He he sees that God is faithful, even in his unfaithfulness, Abraham's unfaithfulness. So I just want to close with some some applications, some things for us to dwell on, to think on. We have, as we have seen, that God is faithful for Abraham throughout this story. And we know that if God was faithful to Abraham, he will be faithful to us, his sons and his daughters. We can see this in chapter, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, Jesus Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. God remains faithful. Now this doesn't mean that, well, I'll just keep living in unfaithfulness. God will bring us out. He will call us out. He will work in us, discipline us, as he did Abraham to make him faithful, to encourage him to be faithful to God. Because there are times in our lives when we are faithless, when we make wrong decisions. But the truth for us that we need to remember is that God is faithful through those times that when we return to him, when God awakens us and calls us back, he's been faithful the whole time and is seeking to point us to Jesus Christ, seeking to encourage us in him. So trust in his faithfulness. Take this with you. Trust in his faithfulness. The same faithfulness that he had for Abraham and Sarah, he has for you. If you are of the faith, you are an heir with Abraham. You share in this faithfulness of God. Because what will encourage us, this, this thinking about his faithfulness, is that it will point us to the greater one, to God, who is faithful. And lastly, I just want to point us to the sign of the new covenant, baptism. You know, we have a tub uh, hidden beneath here, if you didn't know that, there's a tub over there. And that's where we baptize people, people who have put their faith and trust in Christ, who are identifying with Christ. And as circumcision was a sign for the peoples of the old covenant, so 
baptism is a sign for us in the new covenant, the new covenant of Christ's blood, Christ dying on the cross, raising from the dead. Baptism is our identification. If you learn nothing else about a baptism, learn that it's our identification with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. As we died to our sin, as the Lord regenerated our hearts, brought us from death, we died to our old selves. We put it to death. We were brought down in the waters as Christ was buried in the grave. And then he rose us from the dead as Christ Jesus was risen from the dead by God's miraculous power. Baptism is a sign for us to hold on to, to remember. Look at uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In him, Jesus, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is our identification with Jesus. So, two things for us. For if you call yourself a Christian, if you put your faith in him, and then for those who don't, let baptism be a sign to you. Let, let it hold on to it. As a Christian, hold on to it. It's a one-time thing that we have done to identify with Christ, but look back on it and remember it. It's easy as a Christian who have, you have been one for a while, you forget about it. It was a long time ago. Maybe it was. But continue to hold on to it. Let it be what it is, a sign to remember God's new covenant with you, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, by his crucifixion on the cross, he has forgiven you of your sins. And by his resurrection, he's given you a new life in him, a new identity. So hold on to it. God gives us these merciful, these mercies for us to hold on to, just as he did for Abraham. Now, if you, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, if you haven't trusted in him, believed in him, I encourage you to seek Christ, to put your faith in him, to, to question who is God, to ask someone. But let me share with you the gospel. In Colossians 2, the same verse in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by the canceling of the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This is the gospel. And the gospel is believing that Jesus Christ did it for us putting our faith in it, that he took our sin, our trespasses against him, nailed it to the cross, and God poured out his wrath upon Jesus. But Jesus, he has forgiven us if we put our faith in him. And if you put your faith in him today, you can be baptized. You too can have the sign to carry with you throughout your life as an identification with Christ. So if that is something that your heart is drawn to, that the Holy Spirit is working in your life, 
talk to me, talk to Lucius, talk to the prayer team and ask, what does it mean to be saved? How can I put my faith in Christ? And for the rest of us, for everyone here, I want to point you again to God's faithfulness. Remember, when we are faithless, God is showing us his faithfulness to, pu- to build us up in encouragement, to stir in us to be faithful to him. So trust in his faithfulness. Trust in his promises. Let me just pray. Oh, dear Lord, I ask that you would see your word fulfilled. Lord, that Jesus Christ would be magnified, that you would be glorified, that you would be God Almighty today. Show your power, show that you are sufficient, that you would speak to hearts who do not know you, that they would believe in you, Lord. And those of us who are of faith, that we would be encouraged that you are faithful to us, that we would trust you and lean into you in our relationship, Lord, and have integrity with you. I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.